Welcome to Wealthy Behavior, talking money and wealth with Heritage Financial, the podcast that digs into topics, strategies, and behaviors that help busy, successful people build and protect their personal wealth. I'm your host, Sammy Azuz, the president of Heritage Financial, a Boston-based wealth management firm working with business owners, executives, and retirees for longer than 25 years. Now let's talk about the wealthy behaviors that are key to a rich life. Welcome to episode three of Wealthy Behavior. On today's episode, we answer an important question advisors get a lot, and that's whether now is the right time to invest. Sometimes we get that when the markets are at or near all-time highs like they were earlier this year, 13 years into the secular bull market that began in 2009. And sometimes we get it when the market is going through a correction in volatility like we've seen lately. Different situations both leading people to worry about whether they should invest in the market right now. Generally, the answer is yes. If you're concerned about an up market being too good and you don't want to get in, the market is within 10% of its all-time high over 60% of the time. And the market hitting an all-time high is a pretty common occurrence. It happens on average 16 times a year. And one year out from a market high, the market only has a 6.5% chance of being down 10% or more. On the flip side, concerned about market volatility, Market volatility is a normal part of investing. The market averages an intra-year decline of about 14% per year. But here to dig into all the details and more with these questions is Apollo Lupescu, a PhD and Vice President with Dimensional Fund Advisors. Thanks for joining Wealthy Behavior, Apollo. Hi, Sammy. Uh, Thank you so much for the invitation and uh, look forward to our conversation. Great. And I, I know our listeners are as well. So let's start a little bit with your background. You've been with DFA for more than 18 years. How long have you been in the business and, and what's your background at a high level? Uh, well, I've been with Dimensional for, as I said, 18 years. <laughs> it's, it seems like a lifetime, but I, it's been a, a phenomenal uh, 18 years. Uh, my background is that I, uh, I studied um, economics at, at the Michigan State for undergrad and uh, uh, you know, got introduced to the stock market by uh, one of my friend's uh, dad. And, and, and he was a very interesting character. And, 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 uh, um, and it really uh, opened up the stock market as, as something that I wanted to explore. It was the mystery of the market, uh, all this money to be made and lost. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I wanted to sort of uh, uncover the mystery of the market. And uh, I, I went from finishing that undergrad uh, in, in finance at, at Michigan State um, with a, a master's and then a PhD in, uh, uh, in finance and, in, and economics at the University of uh, California, Santa Barbara. Uh, and, and all throughout, is, you know, I always wanted to understand as much as I can the dynamics of the stock market, what's driving the market, uh, how to think about it. Um, and, uh, uh, and then, you know, subsequently, I, I ended up uh, uh, finding this uh, company dimensional that, that had an incredibly strong academic affiliation. And uh, uh, I was really captivated by uh, how they were taking these ideas that I had been teaching and, and I had been taught for all these years in the, in, in the uh, scientific world and, and applying them in the practical world. So um, that's kind of how I got caught into this. Uh, it's, it's a big passion of mine and, and it hasn't changed. <laughs> and I still haven't unraveled the mystery. I don't think I ever will. <laughs> Well, no, but you've definitely started with a passion for investing and you're at a firm that thinks uh, very hard and long about the best way to invest. So you're a great uh, guest for for us today. You know, you understand the challenge that individual investors are facing. I call investing simple, but not easy because yes, the, the precepts are fairly simple, but market volatility in particular can make it difficult to follow a long-term investment strategy and the way we teed up this conversation is sometimes, you know, markets are doing extremely well 
and people are tempted to hit the pause button in terms of putting new money to work because, you know, after all, if it's been going so well for so long, you know, we have to have a pullback at some point, right? And then on the flip right. side, you start to get the pullback, which we're in the midst of now, and then people are reluctant to stick to their strategy or to put new money to work because, you know, we're in the midst of something that can only get worse. Why is this so hard in, in, in terms of getting individual investors comfortable with market volatility in either direction? I, I feel that it's to some degree, it's our natural instinct to try to control things. And, and if things are out of our control, then we want to do something about it. That's why it's <laughs> it's hard for me, for example, to be in in the in the passenger seat. I'd much rather drive for 10 hours than be in the passenger seat for 10 hours. I just feel a bit of loss in control. And I think the markets uh, because they are driven by uh, unforeseen events, uh, it, it, you tend to feel a little bit loss of control. And uh, so I think it's natural as human beings to to try to do something to control it. Uh, and 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 um, you know, tied into that is is just the 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 emotions that come with investing. We've all worked hard, uh, Sammy. Everybody's worked hard to save some money to build a nest egg. And the last thing you want to do is is see that nest egg taking a big hit because of the market. So you always want to try to do something to feel in some level of control. And, and, I, and that's kind of my personal feel uh, that, that people feel like by, by selling, uh, I, I, I take some control back and now I, I, I'm more control of my money than if I would just left it in the market. Uh, so that's one of the 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 the, the reasons that I that I've kind of come to understand uh, that that uh, investors have that. You know, second, I think that there is a um, uh, there, there is a, a, a an armada of marketing being targeted at investors uh, that somehow there is the wisdom of a manager who knows when to get out of the market and when to get back in. So we would help you as an end investor avoid some of these uh, um, uh, these market downturns. And wouldn't that be nice? I mean, it is appealing, yeah. isn't it? Sure. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that? If somebody tells you, yeah, you know what, I'll tell you, if you give me the money, I'll tell you when to be in the market and when to be out of the market. So there's a certain appeal that comes from the media and from managers who are using the media to make these claims, even though uh, when you look at the evidence, it just shows that that's really not something that, 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 that possibly can be done. Uh, so I think that between our human nature, between the way that we are bombarded with information and, and marketing and media, uh, I don't think it's surprising that 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 folks uh, have this uh, uh, this this wish, this this idea that successful investing resides around knowing when to get in and when to get out. And, and because of that, uh, Sammy, I think a lot of folks are looking for signals. You know, is that a signal that that I should be doing something with my money? Let's talk specifically, you mentioned signals uh, or people searching for signals in terms of trying to figure out the right entry point. And we have that directionally in, in, in two situations. One, when the markets are at all-time highs, people feel a little bit of apprehension about putting money to work. They think it's a signal because they're used to market volatility that things can't continue going up the, at the pace that they've been going up. What are your thoughts in terms of you know, is now a good time to invest when markets are doing well? And, and certainly that's, um, that, that's, that's one of the, 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 uh, the ideas out there that when markets are doing well, this party certainly cannot last forever. And, uh, 
Um, and, and we should be doing something about it. So let me, let me give you two or three perspectives on that, on that notion. Uh, the first perspective, which is something that, that I've learned a long time ago and, and, and start, I started studying data and, and the PhD was that when you think the market's too high by whatever metric, valuations, whatever, historical norms, 52 weeks, whatever metric you want to choose, uh, the really important thing is not just knowing when to get out. But there's an equally important decision, which is incredibly hard to make. When do you get back in the market? So it's not one decision, but two simultaneous decisions you have to make. And that is the hardest part, is knowing when to get back in. Because, Sammy, you remember uh, March of 2020, exactly 22 years ago, exactly two years ago, to the day almost, from when we're recording, uh, we are recording this podcast, the world came to a standstill. We're all stuck at home. Uh, there are no cars on the road, you know, so many businesses shut down and it looked like a very, very scary time. Uh, and then where I'm kind of taking the negative side of it, but the problem, the, the thing is that if people decided to get out, the question was, when do you get back in the market? If you'd say the market's too high, it's looks so good. When do you get back in the market? What we see invariably is that, uh, because there is no perfect mechanism to time more often you end up missing the upside much more so than being able to protect yourself on the downside. So that's the first perspective that I would say is just, you know, look, you know, it's making two correct decisions. That's the hard part. The second perspective is that when I did it years and years ago, didn't have a lot of money, but even back then you realize that there are consequences uh, to your actions that when you decide to sell out of the market, there's a real impact of potential taxes and transaction costs. So what you get to keep is basically, it is not just the full amount, it's the full amount minus the taxes that you did not have to pay had you stayed invested and not realized those capital gains. So not in every case, but, but generally speaking, there could be a potential of a capital gain. The third perspective that I thought it was so interesting was that, that uh, when you look at the data, when you look at the, uh, the, the data, uh, it, what you see is that, that statistically speaking, uh, when you reach an all-time high and then you fast forward one year out, uh, it's not devastating. In fact, when you look at it, and we have some data that looks at that one year out after the index, the S&P hit an all-time high, uh, about 80 plus percent of the time, one year later, you would actually have more money. And the average uh, 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 return over that, those 12 months is about 14%, 13.9%. So in other words, it's, it's not devastating. And, and what's surprising, Sammy, is that if you say, okay, but what if I invest in any other month? The percentage of times when the index is higher is only 75%. So it's a lower percentage that the, the index is higher. And the average by which is higher uh, on an annualized basis is only about 12.3%. So investing at an all-time high almost counterintuitively is, it seems statistically to, to be in your advantage. So the gut reaction that an all-time high is a signal that the market can't continue is just actually not supported at all by the data. Exactly. Fact, right. if, if you wanted to be data driven, you'd say markets doing well is a great time to invest compared to, to all other environments. Exactly right. Exactly right. Absolutely right. There's one thing that people have to keep in mind is you have a plan and that plan sort of informs some sort of an allocation between stocks, bonds, international and all that. 
not all these moving parts are, 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 are uh, uh, returning the same uh, percentage every year. They don't move in lockstep. And because of that, as the market goes higher and higher and higher, uh, it is possible that at some point, the percentage in the allocation to that market, to the, let's say the S&P, uh, becomes higher than what is called for in the plan. And at that point, it is absolutely desirable for an advisor to examine the portfolio and at times sell, trim the position, take some chips off the table, and perhaps go something that has dropped in value so he can restore that equilibrium. And that process is called rebalancing. So when the market goes high, I think the argument that I've been trying to bring forth is not one that he shouldn't do anything. The argument is you don't need to sell the entire position. However, as an advisor, it's worthwhile having a systematic process that as the market go higher, you trim them. In other words, it's it's uh, um, if you can imagine, it's a sh if you, if you, if you have a full set of hair, which I don't, but uh, but I, if you have a full, set, you go get a trim, <laughs> don't get a shave. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's the idea: is you you want to trim the positions at time as the market goes high, but not wholesale. Uh, 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 get out of the, uh, the the market just because you think it's too high. So it doesn't mean that an advisor like you would just not do anything. It's just the action that they would take. You would be more thoughtful than just like let's sell because we don't think it's going to be good in the future. That's not uh, the idea. But again, uh, it does not mean that you should not be doing anything. Not at all. There are times when you ought to be doing something. Yeah, and what you're talking about is is sticking to your long-term plan, whether your long-term plan decided that uh, you should be investing a certain percentage of your portfolio in stocks, bonds, and other things, and as new cash became available, you were putting it to work. You need to keep putting it to work, regardless of whether you think the market's you know too high at that standpoint. And also, if your asset allocation plan was to own a certain percentage in, in different categories, you should stick to that long-term plan by just rebalancing as appropriate and not letting things get get out of whack. And I, I think that's uh, tremendous advice. And um, it, it also connects to you, you know the flip side of this conversation of, of when markets are down. One, one thing that we deal with a lot as advisors is the question of uh, dollar cost averaging, where people want to get money to work. And we're seeing it a lot now with you know, business owners who are selling their businesses and have a lot of liquidity for the first time and have never been investors in a traditional portfolio to the scale that they are now as, as one example. And the question comes up, you know, market's doing really well or, you know, market's not doing so great depending on the environment. Should I scale into this or should I just dump it all in the, in the market today? And by market, I, I think they're talking about what you sh shared, which is one segment of the market, but the diversified portfolio that's been presented to them. What do you think of dollar cost averaging as a strategy, given that the market trend is, is generally up? So mathematically, it should not work out for you. I think you, 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 you have the right approach there, Sammy. Um, there is a statistical answer to your question, and then there is a human behavior Ask, you know, answer to your question. So on the statistical answer, if you're just driven purely by data and numbers, uh, the perspective is that you are better off putting all the money to work at once. And here are a couple of really quick and interesting statistics. If you look at the S&P 500, 
Uh, you go to Yahoo Finance and look at the numbers uh, on a daily basis and how the market's doing. What you see is that, that, that generally speaking, when you look over the long run, about 54% or so, 53, 54% of all trading days in the market are positive, uh, which means that the balance of 46 or so, 47% are negative. So on a daily basis, if you invest or not, it's a pretty even split. It's a bit of a flip of a coin whether or not you'll make money or not. So you have a positive return on your money or not. It's still a little bit better positive, but on a daily basis, it's not going to blow you away. Sure. <laughs> now, if you extend that to a monthly basis and you look at the historical data going back to the 1920s, what you see is that roughly speaking, roughly speaking, about 63% of all trading months in the S&P have been positive and 37% negative. And what happens in the market from one month to another, it's completely random. What we'll get in returns this month has nothing to do with what happened last month or what will happen next month. So it's random from month to month. Uh, so they're completely dependent from one another, uh, the market returns from month to month. But think about this, if you choose not to invest, then it's almost as if you decided to go into a, 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 a game and, and play a, a game where you have 63% odds that you would lose. How many of us would do this? You know, if, if, if I were to ask you, okay, if you, um, if you uh, invest, I can't tell you if you're going to make money or not make money, but 63% of the time, uh, you would actually uh, uh, be ahead of the game for over the next month. If you saw those odds, what would you do? <laughs> uh, so from a statistical perspective, you know, you're a lot more likely to miss a good month than a bad month um, if, you, if you just simply look at the numbers. And when you look at annual, roughly three in four years have been uh, a, a positive and only one in four negative. So the longer you stay out of the market, the worse the odds become. So that's, that's, that's the statistical answer is that you are better off putting all your money to work at once because statistically you have better odds of seeing a positive month and a negative month, regardless of what happens right now uh, in the market. Now, that's the statistical answer, all the money at work at once. Um, but there is a human behavior. There's a human element. If you are so apprehensive and you have that knot in your stomach and you just don't feel like you're gonna be able to sleep at night uh, by putting all the money at, at, in the market at once. And it helps you uh, avoid any uh, remorse or uh, any you know, regrets. Uh, and you need to deploy your capital over the next three months in the market or four months, whatever. Uh, you know, when you look 10, 20 years, 20 years down the road, it might not make such a big difference. So it's not optimal for your money, but it's not devastating if, if you're gonna uh, parse it out over the next uh, uh, you know, three months or five months, whatever the number of months you decide to do it. It's not devastating. You're not, you're not gonna be as well off, but I can't say it's devastating. If you, if you do it, I mean, if you do it over 10 years, yeah, it's gonna be a difference. <laughs> but if you do it over a few months, I don't think it's a big deal. And if that really helps you sleep from a human behavior perspective, um, then so be it. Absolutely. And I think that that's a, a great point in terms of quantifying for people exactly where this money is going to go and, and what aspect of it is going to be exposed to the market that they're concerned about the most because they're going to own other things in a well-diversified portfolio put together by a good team. Well, 
it's it's absolutely uh, crucial for folks to understand the, the 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 fundamental of the market and what's causing this volatility. Uh, so when the market uh, fluctuates, when there's volatility, uh, first of all, you as an investor should say there's nothing really unusual about this. That's always been the case, and I understand why. It's something that is uh, that is that is to be expected. Is the nature of the market. Um, and to me, uh, you know, remember uh, J.P. Morgan. I think used to be asked, "What's the market going to do?" And his invariable answer was, "It will fluctuate." <laughs> that's that was his answer, and that's that's the truth. It, it, it that's the nature of the stock market. So when you see volatility, please don't consider it as something that's wrong with the market. Exactly the opposite. Now, one interesting thing about the volatility, uh, uh, Sammy, is that. Um, you know, we are just now confronted with this war. And the, what's so fascinating is that uh, volatility uh, around these events is, is quite interesting. Uh, it, it, you know, the markets uh, are trying to assimilate new information based on what has just happened with this major event. And at the time, it's not always clear what the impact will be. So markets do tend to move a little bit more around a major event. So the the, uh, the the picture that I always had in my mind is that uh, you know I, I I we went vacationing in Maine um, a while ago beautiful beautiful state and uh, uh, we had a house next to a lake it was a little pond or whatever it was uh, and I remember that that I took a rock and I and I threw it into the pond and as the wa- the rock landed at the point of impact the waves the ripples were kind of big. But as you move away from the point of impact, those ripples get smaller and smaller. And somehow that made me think of the market. When you have a big event, like we just had with the war, like 9-11, Fukushima natural disaster, the, 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 not the, but the, uh, the, the nuclear disaster. Around the time of the event, the market's trying to assess and reassess the prospects of different companies. Uh, and because there's a lot of noise, not enough clarity, you have these bigger market movements. But as you go away from the event, those ripples start to uh, uh, to become smaller and smaller. So that's something to be aware of an investor. Be careful not to get caught up at the point of impact when an event happens, because that's when you see greater market volatility uh, because of the uncertainty around that event and the unknown impact that it might have on companies. So long story short, volatility is part of the market. It's something that we understand why it's desirable. Uh, And as an investor, you should embrace it. And also be careful that around major events, we do tend to see more volatility that's driven by the lack of clarity on the impact of that event on, on companies. All right. Thank you, Paul. That makes a lot of sense. So we're in somewhat of a downturn now. It, let's say it was worse, or let's say it, we're back in 2008. What is your advice for individual investors during markets that just get, frankly, ugly? The, the first advice that I have is to acknowledge the emotions that come with the market downturn, the unpleasantness of opening your statement and seeing that that perhaps your your value has dropped, and absolutely that's that's understandable. That's human. That's 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 good. Uh, and a lot of these market drops might be associated with unpleasant events, like we had the pandemic a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Um, and, and 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 while we acknowledge this, and I think it's just that's what makes us human to have these emotions. I think that the first advice that I have for folks is to disentangle these emotions from investment decisions. Do not make investment decisions when 
when you're emotional. And, and by the way, this is not just <laughs> investing. In general, <laughs> I find that that decisions that I made when I'm very emotional, they, they not tend to be the best ones. Uh, so I think it's it's kind of having an advisor to keep a cool head when these markets are are are, are down. Uh, the second advice that 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 I would have is to uh, um, to really avoid uh, selling an entire position based on what um, what what do you think it might happen. Uh, as we talked about it, it's it, you, you have to know when to get back in. A lot of folks after the drop in the first quarter of 2020, uh, they had no idea when to get back in, and they missed the entire recovery. Uh, so it's really hard to get back in there. So my second advice, don't consider selling an entire position as being the right way to go. My advice is that to mitigate uh, um, market downturns is to really make sure that you have the right balance of bonds. Uh, make sure that, 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 uh, uh, that you're properly diversified among global stock markets. But the, truly the action to take when the market drops is to talk to your advisor and examine whether that might be the right time to actually buy. Look at it as an opportunity. Uh, and, and, and not just like, let's just load up on stock willy-nilly, but an opportunity to rebalance the portfolio, as we talked about, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and make sure that you have the proper weight for stocks. Because eventually, what we know is that the markets do come back. And what you don't want is to be too light on stocks. So when the recovery happens, you're not really capturing the full upside. Uh, so uh, to me, the, 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 the things to, to not to do are, are get caught up with emotions or try to sell the entire position. The thing to do is to you know, make sure that you have the right balance of stocks and bonds that you probably diversified and you, um, you uh, absolutely uh, uh, check on rebalancing if it's appropriate, not not every time. Might sometimes it might not be appropriate, but if it's uh, appropriate to rebalance, then when the market drops, look at it as an opportunity. That's yeah, what and, and most successful investors do. Yep. Sorry to interrupt. And connecting the two, you know, when the market's high and, and when it's low, if you sell out at the market at a low point, it becomes so much harder to get back in at a higher point, and you end up just really anchoring to where the market was. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of investors who, you know, got out during the 08 crisis and never really fully got back in, not really believing what they were seeing in the market and then looking at all the missed gains and really becoming paralyzed by that paradigm. So I, I think your advice is spot on and it, it kind of combines the, the worst of, of both of these scenarios into one uh, and, and makes it that much more difficult. Well, absolutely. And, and particularly, folks, we know market downturns are coming eventually in some way, shape, or form. And it's just about getting ready for that and focusing on the things that you can control. Uh, Sammy, I live in Los Angeles, and I know the one thing that's going to happen here at some point is an earthquake. I'm under no illusion that I'll live my whole life without having to deal with something. Yep. Uh, but the knowledge of the earthquake itself is pretty useless because I don't know when it's coming. It's the same with the market. I know the market's gonna drop, I just don't know when, but it doesn't mean that I'm powerless. I can prepare, I can focus on the things that I can control. I bolted the house to the foundation. I tied the shelves to the wall. I have you know, a water trunk, of, uh, water in the trunk. I have, I have things that I can do to prepare. And when it comes, it might not be unpleasant, it might not, not be pleasant, 
but it will be it will not be devastating if I had prepared for this. It's just when you don't prepare and 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 uh, and that event comes, that's the issue there. So it's the same in the market. You know, we know they're going to come. We know there'll be market downturns. It's just, the news is not always going to be positive. <laughs> that's just the nature of the world. And just be prepared by you know having an advisor, diversifying, and having a balance between stocks and bonds. Absolutely. And so much of your advice today in dealing with the market's moves in either direction to investors anchors on diversification and, you know, diversification being owning a lot of different things in a well-balanced portfolio. What, you know, there's a a little bit of a, a view or belief that every now and then diversification doesn't work, like in an 08, all stocks are going down at, at the same time. I don't think that's true, and I don't. I'd love for you to address a little bit that either myth or or argument about diversification and maybe markets becoming more correlated globally, and you know, not all of those strategies will protect you as well as they have in the past. Um, you know, it, it's 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 possible that the, at times all markets might go down. So I, I cannot discount that and say that never happens. Uh, it's possible. There are a lot of things that are possible, but what we have seen in the data is that investors who are solely focused on the S&P, the the, uh, and, uh, the the large companies in the U.S., they don't they don't diversify. They tend not to uh, have uh, as 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 good of outcomes over the long run, and perhaps somebody who's more diversified. And it's not universal. There are times when the S&P is going to do very well. It's done like this. I guess what I'm saying is that if you take periods when the S&P didn't do well, uh, you look at the the first uh, uh, ten years of this of the century between 2000 and 2010 for the first decade, uh, we had something called the lost decade because a, a dollar invested in the S&P uh, would have actually been uh, a, a negative, would have turned into 91 cents. So a whole decade of the market not not doing well, whereas a globally diversified portfolio with some small company stocks, with some value stocks, would have certainly had a, a, a positive outcome over that, that period. So there'll be times when the U.S. is doing well. There'll be times when uh, the, the U.S. is not doing well. Uh, you know, historically, it's never been the case that, that it's consistently one doing better than the other. It's, there's always some level of benefit to diversification, but there are times when perhaps markets will move a little bit closer um, uh, in, in tandem. Uh, but by and large, historically, we have not seen this to be so consistent where it's no longer making sense to diversify. Not at all. I, I, there's still a big benefit to diversification. And just look at the last decade. Sure. Look at the last Absolutely. decade. We had a global portfolio would have done so much better uh, than, uh, than, than a U.S. only. Uh, and, and not only that, you look at, um, you know, uh, all, all kinds of time periods, uh, but it's not consistent. I cannot tell you that's going to be the case every year. Over the past few years, the U.S. has done incredibly well. And that's fine. I love that. It's the biggest part of a portfolio. <laughs> There's so much more we could talk about here, Apollo, but this is really a great overview of how to think about putting your money to work for you, no matter the market environment. If our listeners only take away one thing from our conversation about investing for the long term as it relates to their wealth, what should it be? It's that investing in the market is one of the most important activities that we can do because it gives us all a stake in capitalism. It allows us to participate in the ownership of companies that we use when we make daily purchases. 
Uh, it is not a gambling casino. It's simply uh, reflecting the value of these great American companies. Uh, and uh, um, when you have that opportunity to do it, uh, I would absolutely embrace it because it, it's, it's, it's one of these fundamental uh, 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 ways in which we can partake in capitalism. And I'm very optimistic about the market because I believe in free markets and these companies. These companies are run by smart people and they will try to find a way to make it work and make money in whatever state of the world that we might be. In my mind, they might not make money every day, but I have no doubt that when they show up for work, how do we get this company to be successful? And uh, that's my, that's my uh, ultimate reason for optimism in the market and, and encourage people to consider uh, the market rather than just think that it's, uh, it's a sham or, or it's a casino or it's a rig game. It's not. It's not. It's one of the most fundamental premises in our society. Partake in capitalism. Be part of this uh, amazing global economy. That's a way to do it without having to go to work for that. <laughs> when when you drive to work and you see folks go, going into buildings and uh, you know and all these uh, global help, headquarters, you can say you know these folks work for me. I just don't have to show up for work. And that's what uh, participating in the market allows you to do. And, and understand there'll be individual companies when there might not be make money for the while. And there's risks at the individual company level. But by and large, over the long run, this free market capitalist system has been powering the stock market and has been powering our lives. And that's why I'm incredibly optimistic about the market. Uh, and, and I encourage people to consider it. I'm not going to tell you go invest blindly. You might need to have a balance with bonds. That's why you need to talk to Sammy and the team and make sure that uh, your plan accounts for your circumstances, your needs. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic and, and, and grateful for being able to participate in the stock market. That's great. And since the name of our podcast is Wealthy Behavior, what's the best piece of financial advice you've ever received? Ooh, um, <laughs> the best piece of financial advice that 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 um, that I got in, in in my life actually uh, had to do with understanding the trade offs in uh, in investing. There is a trade-off in investing, and at any point in time, uh, you know, if you say yes to something, you say no to something else. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, the trade-offs that I that I that I that I understood is that 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 there there is a real risk and return relationship, and it manifests whether you buy a single stock where you can make a lot of money or lose a lot of money versus buying a big basket of diversified stocks. So it was an advice that, you know, hey, you can make a lot of money, but be careful on the other side. You know, you can make a lot of money in the stock market over the long run, but you also have a lot of a choppier right relative than investing in bonds. So the, probably the best advice that I got is always pay attention to the trade-offs uh, and always realize that when you say yes to something, you say no to something else. There is an opportunity cost uh, and, and sometimes it's worth it, sometimes it's not. Great advice. Thank you very much, Apollo, for your insight today and for joining us on Wealthy Behavior. It was great fun talking to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Wealthy Behavior. If you found the conversation useful, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and sharing this episode so those around you can live a rich life too. For more insights, subscribe to our weekly blog at heritagefinancial.net 
and follow Heritage Financial on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Check out my personal finance blog at thebostonadvisor.com. This educational podcast is brought to you by Heritage Financial Services, LLC, located in the greater Boston area. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the speaker, are subject to change, and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment or strategy discussed will be successful or will achieve any particular level of results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.